If you have a Bible, you can open it to Matthew chapter 16. Of course, it's here on the screen as well. Uh, we're, we're kind of breaking up the Gospel of Matthew into these kind of mini-sections, and this is the end of another mini-section where we've been focusing on what it means to fo- be a follower of Jesus that is distinct from so much of the hypocrisy that we see of the Pharisees in the Scriptures and we can see in the world, particularly in the religious South, and if we're honest, in every one of our hearts. We seem to all be kind of wired to be legalists. That is, when life is too much, when the, maybe what we're seeing in our hearts is overwhelming, is we want, we want somebody to just tell me what to do. Right? Tell me what to do, because if I can check my list off, then I can feel good about myself, I can kind of calm that nagging guilt down, and if we're honest, I can compare myself to other people. And this is a deadly and dangerous thing, and Jesus is going to call it out again as such today. Uh, I'm planning for us to do something a little different today, so hopefully that piques your interest. Uh, It's not going to be scary. I mean, it might be. It's Halloween. No. But uh, it really, it may be in a good way, but that's how Jesus, Jesus kind of does things. But let's jump into the text. We're going to read it. We're going to think about it together, but we're going to ask that It's not merely something that we just inform our heads or, again, go through the motions of checking off that we did the Sunday morning church thing. So Matthew 16, verses 1 through 12. And the Pharisees and Sadducees came, and to test him, they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. He answered them, When it's evening, you say, It will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be stormy today, for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. An evil and adulterous generation seeks a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. So he left them and departed. When the disciples reached the other side, they had forgotten to bring any bread. Jesus said to them, Watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And they began discussing it among themselves, saying, We brought no bread. But Jesus, aware of this, said, Oh, you a little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive, do you not remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many baskets you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many baskets you gathered? How is it that you fail to understand that I did not speak about bread? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then they understood that he did not tell them to be aware of the leaven of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we can look before your throne and know that it's okay. That our guilt and our shame and our fear have no authority in our lives. The accusations of the enemy may feel so real, but they have no teeth. And so we pray today that you would help us to listen to your word as the free sons and daughters of God that we are. Give us resurrection confidence and hope to take steps of faith today as we listen and as we leave. We need your help, Holy Spirit, to do this. And we ask for it now in Jesus' name. 
Amen. I feel like I've said this story before, and I know I have to some of you, but if you think of our family and you're talking about the history on my dad's side, there's a name, Margaret, that's in that list. And again, I feel like I've said this. I need to quit giving the preamble, but my grandmother uh, grew up really poor on one side of our family, and so when she, when she grew up, she became a school teacher, so no, no great amount of means, but that was a big step up. And she really liked nice things, and she really wanted her home to be nice. And so the house was always clean. So when we went in the house, it was a house where you had to take your shoes off before you went in. And it was, she didn't even have to tell you. She had that kind of presence, right? Like it was, you knew it. Like if you'd never been to her house before, you would have walked in and you would have perceived, oh, I need to take my shoes off before I walk in here. And you would have been cool with it. But Margaret is the name I want to get to. Margaret was the lady who would come and clean the clean house. And this was always so frustrating to me. And I think it's a beautiful picture kind of what we see here is why I repeat this probably at different times. Is because we would have to clean the house before Margaret came to clean the house. And this would just frustrate me to no end because I'm a person, as my wife has taught me, who views cleaning merely as straightening. And if I would have paid attention to my grandma, it probably would have helped my marriage out a lot. But I didn't. This seemed utterly pointless. Why would you pay a woman to come and clean what you were already going to clean before she came? But what the goal was, as I've learned, is we were to get the house straightened so she didn't have to waste the time doing all that work and could get down to, as Nacho Libre says, the nitty-gritty. Could get to the real work. Now, of course, the surface work seemed good enough to me, but it wasn't the real work. The deep work. The costly work. The consequential work. But I completely missed the point. And so I continued to stay frustrated and to stay on the surface. And this is where I think the disciples are in our text. And this is where all of us can be. Is we are frustrated... And we are confused because we continue to live a life of discipleship that is still on the surface. Some of you in here may be fighting certain sins, dealing with suffering, wounds in your life, or just kind of bondage to certain lies of the enemy. And you continue to try to fight these things and deal with them merely by straightening up your life. Merely by new boundaries, new behaviors, new skills. And nothing seems to really change. And Jesus in our text today has a passion that echoes throughout the whole story of God. Of a God who loves us so much that He does not want us to content ourselves with living lives that stay on the surface, that go through the motions, that kind of give a hat hat tip to the proverbial man upstairs and do the whole southern religious thing and not experience a life-giving relationship with Jesus. The truth was given to us so that we might be set free. Not so we might rearrange our calendars and our schedules, or even some of the behaviors in our life. Now on October 30th, we know... Halloween's tomorrow, but this is also a time of year where we remember some of our history. We remember a season in the history of the church known as the Reformation. We have lots of debates about the, the full character of some of the men and women that were involved in that. But at the heart of it 
was what's at the heart of our text. Is that we are a people who cannot be taken captive to a way of religion, a way of being the church that merely is about external performance. About certain people with certain titles and positions having power. About an external way of religion that does not lead us into any freedom, but leads us into a deeper fear, guilt, and shame that the gospel comes to set us free of. What Jesus is calling us is what he called the disciples here to, is to learn to listen for the heart. For the heart of God. For the heart of yourself. For the heart of your situation. If you are are to live a life as a healthy disciple. Say that again. We've got to learn to listen for the heart. How do we do that? The first thing in our text here is we've got to look at how we stay on the surface and how that's so dangerous. We see here the Pharisees and the Sadducees come and they come to test Jesus. Just to recap, who are the Pharisees and the Sadducees? They, they make up, they're these groups of religious leaders who make up the Sanhedrin. That is the council. So they're going to, in Jerusalem, of religious leadership, they're going to come back together at the end. But with them together, this is crazy. This is like today in our divided country of political world, the Democrats and the Republicans. And you're thinking, what could unify them? I mean, the Sadducees only believe that the first five books of the Old Testament are actually God's Word. They don't believe in a resurrection. These are two very big things. The Pharisees believe these things. They both have different competing views for what the restoration of Israel looks like. But guess what? They found something they can be united on. And that is this Jesus guy is a threat. We need to figure out what he's all about. If he truly is the Christ or the King, and this word test here shows doubt. It's the same same word for temptation that Satan tempts Jesus in the wilderness. He came to Jesus to test him. They're coming to Jesus to test him. And what they want to see, though, is a sign. Because what is threatened is their security. So this guy heals people. He forgives people. I mean, he might can even raise the dead. But what do they want? They want political security. They need somebody who can call down fire from heaven. They want to see that this is a Jesus who doesn't just go around and do good things for people, but a king who can conquer. They have an agenda. They doubt he can do it, but hey, if you can do it, do it. Let's wipe out Rome and let's restore our place in the land. We can debate Pharisees and Sadducees on what it means to do that later. But we can get unified on this. They're testing Him. Will He use His power to meet our agenda and give us the superficial things that we want in life? Well, Jesus gives them an answer. I heard it this way growing up. Red sky, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. Red sky at night, sailor's delight. Red sky in morning, sailors take warning. And it's in the Bible. So this must be an old weather way. And what Jesus is saying to them is he's saying, this is, this is I don't know if ironic's the right word, sad, is you guys can interpret the weather, but you can't even understand what's going on right before your eyes in the history of God's redemption. 
Again, he's feeding the thousands. He's healing the sick. He's raising the dead. He's restoring the lost sheep of Israel to their rightful place. And they don't see it. You know, for people who seek signs, the reality is when they see the sign, it usually doesn't change anything. Why? Because it's about the heart. It's about the heart. He's not going to fall for their test. He actually says here, the only sign, he says, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. And he left them and departed. In chapter 12, we talked about what the sign of Jonah is, but Jesus is saying is that through his resurrection, through his deliverance from being in the belly of death, he's going to be authenticated as the Christ, as the King, but we know even that will not be enough. So Jesus says to his disciples, beware, verse 6, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. What Jesus is saying here, this leaven, this yeast that does make up bread, it spreads, it's powerful. It may not look like much, but it can infect and invade the whole system. What is the leaven of the scribes and the, of the Pharisees and the Sadducees here? In this context, it's this sign-seeking. It's this posture of doubt that wants Jesus merely to serve their external agenda. Uh, one one uh, pastor or preacher, Colin Majak, I believe his name was, read so many sources doing this. I thought he had a good way of summarizing what sign-seeking is. It can go in two directions. The first is sensationalism. So people who seek a sign want Jesus to do something sensational for them, right? That gives them this kind of external security that's more than the gospel, more than the sign of Jonah. And then there's also on the other side of this, and this kind of hit me, is their cynicism. It's this, this, this stance of doubt this stance of nothing's probably ever going to be good. So, you know, prove it again, Jesus, if you can. The issue here is that it's super serious to be stuck on the surface where the only security that you have are in the physical, sensational displays of the Jesus who operates at the snap of your finger. I remember many, many years ago, not in this church, in this setting, counseling someone who was dealing with lust, with pornography, and, and they were coming to me wanting me to, to set up, help, just help them change, powerfully change. Again, tell me what to do, right? Let's set up some boundaries. Let's set up some practices. And, and these things are, are good and helpful, only to find out later that, that this was not merely an issue of what was being disclosed, but it, it actually involved things like visiting prostitutes, It was a serious, deep heart issue to start with, but it was even deeper, and because the heart was not being dealt with, it was super dangerous. Super dangerous. You may not be doing something like that, but I think all of us this morning need to reflect, where are we trying to treat stage four spiritual cancer like the Pharisees and Sadducees have with a couple Tylenol and call me in the morning. 
Why are we seeking signs when we should be paying attention to our hearts? Some of you in here may be saying, Jesus, give me a sign. Do something sensational. Overcome my cynicism. And he's saying, okay, let's start with your heart. But we often don't want to go there. And then we take that cynical posture that hides from our hearts, but continues to give the appearance that we're seeking for security. We follow a culture that feeds off this. This is why this is dangerous. Our world, the water that we drink, the air that we breathe, depends on sensationalism and cynicism to make money. It's how the the world works. And if we want to break free from staying on the surface, we've 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 got to start to see that. And we've got to start to be honest about how sensationalism and cynicism shapes us so that we miss out on the satisfaction that Jesus comes to give us in our lives. But we've got to be willing to ask Him to show us more. We see the end of verse 4 as He leaves them and departs. And guess what happens? They don't follow Him. They don't ask more questions. They're not curious even if they're confused. And some of you may be living there and today that might be the step that you need to take. Is like, I don't really understand. I don't know where this is going to lead. But Jesus, I'm going to follow you into whatever you want to show me that's beneath the surface. And he teaches them. That's our, our next point here. I'm going to speed up a little bit so we can get to maybe this exercise that we're going to do. So we've got to look beneath the surface and we've got to learn how to learn what's beneath the surface. So verses 7 and 8, Jesus uh, challenges the disciples on continuing to, to miss the point. So they, be, they hear him say, Beware of the leaven and the Pharisees and Sadducees. And where are they at? They're still up here. They're worried. Oh no, we didn't bring bread. Now in reading some on this and hearing people talk, sometimes people can be pretty hard on the disciples, right? Like, are these guys a bunch of idiots? But for some reason this time as I was reading about this and listening to people talk about this, I was thinking, hey, take it easy on the disciples because I feel like them, right? I mean, I feel like I've preached this sermon a hundred times. I probably have in some form or fashion. And it's like, I'll probably go home this afternoon and live on the surface. Hopefully not in every way, but in some ways. And Jesus reminds them, hey, hey, hey you're worried about bread? Hey, remember that 5,000 people plus men and women and children I fed? And how many baskets were left over? Now, I think that's important. If you've, not, if you've been here with us, there was 12 baskets that represented Israel. So, hey, remember when we did that big physical thing and I met your needs, but it also had this deep spiritual meaning of how I'll take care of all the people of Israel? And then he says, remember that when I fed the 4,000? Remember that was the Gentiles last time? And there were seven baskets left over? Remember when I met this big physical need, but seven, the number of completion, the number of fullness, 70 nations. If you weren't here last week, we talked about those things. Like, remember how I'm always doing 
what you need for your physical world, but I'm also always speaking to your heart. That's why he says you have little faith. I love how one commentator says this, because they were men of little faith, they came to an unimaginative conclusion. I'll say that again. Because they were men of little faith, they came to an unimaginative conclusion. They couldn't see beneath the surface. Their bellies were louder than their hearts. Their bellies were louder than their hearts. Their visible, physical world was all that was real to them. When that's, when that's where you live, when we talked before the fancy word, Dallas Willard, robust, metaphysical realism, fancy way to say, there is more than meets to eye to this life. And with the kingdom of God breaking in through Jesus, He's trying to show them, we're not, it's not just what you see on the surface, and they continue to live there, and He's trying to take them somewhere else. And so He teaches them. He says, how is it that you fail, verse 11, to, to understand that I did not speak about bread? And then he says it again. He doesn't explain it. This is, this is helpful. He says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Jesus here is discipling them, not at the level of the conclusion, but how they process the information. Notice again what he says here. Verse 11. How is it that you fail to understand? How is it? He's trying to say, I want to disciple you to process the world differently, to process your heart differently. He doesn't explain them, and now, now when they're starting to get it, they're like, oh, you mean the teaching. You see, a discipleship often is not just learning to give people the right answers, but teaching one another how to ask the right questions. Right? We've got to be the type of people who know how to ask the right questions. Is it not the, the best people you love to ever listen to teach or re, you like to read or something, or the ones who are like, oh, that person kind of sees what's behind the scenes, you know? They can see a, a commercial on TV and say, hey, they look like they're trying to sell you bagel bites, but they're actually really trying to sell you on this. That's what Jesus is doing here. The Pharisees and Sadducees want you to think they're trying to sell you on this, but what they really want is this. And this is what's going to be revealed so most clearly at the cross. What they want is their power. What they want is their external security. And they will kill Jesus to maintain that. But what we have to do is honestly look in the mirror. How many of us are willing to sacrifice a real relationship with Jesus so that we can maintain the appearance of our religiosity, maybe to even some people in this room. We don't want to look beneath the heart. But the good news of the gospel is, what sign does Jesus give them, and what does He give us? The sign of Jonah. This is why we can have hope, is we trust that the sign of Jonah is enough. That the one who went into the, the depths of 
hell, and death in our place is the one who rose and authenticated that He was the Son of God, that He was the Christ, that He was the King, that He was the one who conquers sin and suffering and Satan, who puts to death our guilt, our shame, and fear. But we've got to learn to listen for the heart if we want to experience that. Or else we will be those who turn and walk away from the cross with all of our theology, with all of our posturing. So we can maintain power over the security in our lives. This is back to the beginning. This is where it can get scary. It's scary to say, I'm not going to depend on sensationalism or cynicism to make me feel safe in this world anymore. So we have something to help us do this this morning. We have three lovely assistants here, Josiah Jackson. Well, two lovely and one Val. So, all right. So, Josiah, if you'll hand them out here. Jackson in the middle. Okay. Uh, If you didn't bring a pen, you can just look at it. I want to walk you through this. Uh, While they're handing it out is, and I'm going to need one too, uh, is... This is a resource that we created for our church in 2017. And I've been feeling some personal conviction around this because, uh, and, and oh, a couple of things. So there's a, there's a counseling organization called the Christian Counseling Education Foundation. I'm saying it right, Joe? CCEF is what I know it as. And so I have, have did some studies through them or whatever. The majority of all this comes from them. So CCEF, if you're interested in, in that. Some of the other stuff has been shaped by Rich and Jim Plass, Crosspoint Ministry, and, uh, and, a, and maybe a little bit of the Tin Man. So just so you know kind of where this is coming from. But ultimately, this flows out of what we believe Jesus has been teaching. We've seen this again. Out of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the heart come evil thoughts and murder and lies. If, if, you, if, you've missed, if you've not been here, this doesn't have like a thousand Bible verses on it, but that's, we've covered that. Jeremiah 17, Ezekiel, we can just go so many places. Real change comes beneath the heart. And so I'm going to walk you through this because I want to encourage everyone to consider doing it even now in the little time we have as best you can, even in your head, or if you have a pencil or notes app on your phone. But if not, I want you to have enough experience with this so that when you find yourself in seasons or situations that you feel stuck so that you don't have to live on the surface of waiting for something sensational or living in cynicism. Or, as as that guy said too, the disciples, they get in a scarcity mindset. Right? I'll never have enough. I'll never have enough. So we want to get to the heart of that. Okay, so here we go. If you're new here today, this is not normal. It's not... If you like it, it is normal. All right. Uh, If you don't like it, it's not normal. So, see, I could do that, how I'm feeling right now. Do this. Okay, so here we go. Heart journal, page one. Heat. So, man, I forgot to do the image. Imagine Imagine a sunshine and a tree and a heart and soil around it with roots coming out of the heart. Okay, you got me? Sunshine, tree, heart and the roots, and roots coming out. Okay, 
So the heat is bearing down on your situation like this is a Tuesday night at home or in your dorm or your suite or in your car, or it could be a season. So this is where you would say, here's what my trial, my temptation, or my trigger is, right? This is a heat I'm facing, right? This happened. So-and-so gave me the cold shoulder. My, my friend or spouse uh, didn't pay attention to me. Like, what, what's the circumstance? All right. You might bring one up in your head now if you want to. Okay. Next is hands. And this could also be thorns. So you could imagine a thorn bush. We're going to get over to the fruit bush later. How did I respond? So this is, this is, this is the surface stuff, but, it's, but we're going to think about the surface stuff even in light of our hearts. What did I feel? So we got, if you need more help on this, we got our other little cards here. We got an updated version. It has eight feelings. There's more of them. You can go online, find the feelings wheels. There's a whole bunch of different options. But how did I feel? How did I feel when they said that? How did I feel when this happened or this didn't happen? I'm going to kind of own that out loud, right? Oh, I was angry, right? Don't be like me. I'm not mad, you know, or something like that, right? Starting to get honest. Next, if you got that, think about a recent situation maybe. It's good to practice stuff. How did I interpret what was happening? And so we say this phrase around here a lot. What's the story you're telling yourself? All of us have the story we're telling ourselves inside. Oh, when they said that, they meant this. Right? Or when this didn't happen in my life, this is how I thought. Oh, people are never to be trusted. Or I'm... Whatever. What, what was the story you were telling yourself? What assumptions were you making? Because guess what? You are. Right? Some of this... I don't think this is new for most people in here. But you're telling yourself a story. Well, it's good to just get that out there. This could be a great... Maybe this week you feel like Jesus gives you the permission to not read your Bible as long. Read it a little bit and meet him here. Okay, here we go. Next, what did I do? So here's the behavior. Well, I yelled. I... Whatever. What negative, wrong thing did you do? You know your things. I don't know why I'm not thinking of a lot of good examples right now. I detached. I ran away. I said something hurtful. So again, what are the thorns there of feeling, interpretation, or thoughts, and doing? If it helps you, and I don't mean this in any negative way, it actually helps me remember this. B-E-T, behavior, emotions, thoughts. This is a TV channel. That helps me remember it. Anyway, all right. I don't even know if that's still a TV channel. It was a TV channel in the 90s. But anyway, so here we go. All right. Now, more deeper into the heart. So a lot of times when we think about change, we just think about what happened, what did I do, what can I do different, right? We got Jesus wants us to go deeper, right? It's out of the heart. So why did I respond in those ways? All right, the first question here is, what was I wanting that I didn't get? I wanted respect, right? Be aware. I wanted to be listened to. What did I think I needed? 
Did a desire, a good thing, become a demand? Is this it? A lot of times these wants are good things, right? It's not, it's not wrong to want to be just listened to. It's not wrong to want to be cared for. It's not want wrong. Uh, as, you know, as our card said, it's not wrong to want attention. It's not wrong to want comfort. It's not wrong to want attunement. But you just need to be aware, that's what I wanted. And I didn't get it. And when I didn't get it, I pitched a fit or I figured out a way to, to, to punish. Or maybe sometimes I figured out a way just to comply. Next question, what lies or accusations was I believing or tempted to believe about who I am, what God has done, or who God is? Now, this is not what you're supposed to say. This is when you're getting honest about what you really were believing in that moment based on what you felt, thought, and did and wanted. Okay, in that situation, I thought, I'm unlovable. In that situation, I thought, I'm a lost cause. What did you think about them? In that situation, I thought, they deserve to die. Or I thought, they were unlovable. Or they were a lost cause. Whatever it is. What? Hey, be on, you got to get honest, right? This is why this can be kind of scary. What has God done, particularly in Jesus? In that moment, I thought, the gospel is absolutely irrelevant to a Tuesday night in my kitchen. You know, just getting honest. I did not think, really believe that God was still satisfied and loved me because of the finished work of Christ. I didn't. Because if I believe this about me, then it means I believe in something about Jesus and what God's done and then who God is. In that moment, I thought, God's abandoned me. In that moment, I thought, God is not a helper. In that moment, I thought, God is cruel because He allowed this situation in my life. Again, this is where it gets a little scary, right? Because we think we have behavioral issues and sometimes we turn out to be also blasphemous idolaters, right? But we can go there because we've already seen, right? Jesus holds us there, right? He's waiting on you there. Because He loves you, and he, you're not that. And He wants to set you free. But you've got, you've got to go there. So the soil. So what influences the heart? We could talk about this a lot in terms of, of biology and personality and past. And so here's, how's my story and personality? And, and we could even add on this. I need to revise this. Even maybe my physicality, my biology can shape my heart. So... First thing, what events, experiences, or relationships in my life have informed these things? You know, you think, I'm having this fight, and uh, maybe the ghost of my grandma is in the room. Not really, but you know what I mean, right? Maybe, maybe I'm here, maybe when that person said that, I'm hearing my mom or my dad or my brother or my gym teacher like say it or standing behind them saying, yeah, yeah. Just be aware of that, right? And then what are the particular gifts and temptations of my personality and how do they inform or influence me in this situation? All of us, you know, debate all the personality tests all day long. But all of us, I think, can agree. We, we kind of have some different personalities, right? 
some of we walk into a room and we can see it kind of differently and experience it kind of differently because of our personality, even at the level of just basic introversion, extroversion. That impacts what your heart wants. And then again, I don't have it on here, you could write it in, your physicality, right? So if you live with some kind of like chronic pain, then guess what? That's going to that's gonna have an impact on your life, and it's not unspiritual to talk about that. And then the outcome piece is, how is this way of life working? And there's a few questions there again. How did I deal with or cope with what I felt, thought, or said, and, and did it work? Now, this is on the other end. So I blew up. I've, I've, I've went the wrong way. And what do we, we all got to figure out a way to calm down, right? A way to cope, a way to deal. Just need to say out loud, this, you need to own, what do I do? Do I go watch TV? Do I go work on the car? Do I go for a ride? Do I listen to music? Do I eat a whole carton of ice cream and watch Gilmore Girls? Or I don't know. Whatever it is, the way you deal with when life's not working out. You need to say, this is what I'm doing. This is what this is in service of. Right? This is just a way of getting honest. And then you ask yourself, do you see a, a vicious cycle here? Right? Oh, wow, I, I didn't really deal with it. We just kind of hit time out and paused. And when the heat comes again in my life, it's, gonna, it's just going to trigger again, and here we go. The reality is probably all of us in here, no matter how much far along you are in your spiritual growth, have some, some of these going on. And then you ask yourself the question, do you want to experience greater freedom? I think this is what you do, you, do you want it? Well, guess what? You're going to have to do some work, right? That's work, what we just did, right? That's not as fun as doing some other things we could think of. But do you want to stay on the surface or do you want to change? Where are the areas in your life you are willing to do work? That's always important to ask ourselves because most of us are. You're putting your time and your effort and your energy into something you think that really matters. And what Jesus is saying is nothing matters more than your heart. Nothing. So how do we come out of this? Well, we want to we move from thorn bush and go up to fruit tree, right? So the first thing is, is we, we've got to do this, this heart work. We've got to come to the truth of God, right? Jesus says you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Insight is not change. There are some people who want to live their whole journey on this side, right? Like, oh, I can tell you about how my personality or my physicality or my past and effects and emotions and and blah, 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 blah. and all that's really helpful, right? To, to understand. But that's not change. That's just some self-understanding. It sure helps, though, as you start to catch yourself doing stuff. And you know when you're starting to be on a good track of dealing the heart is when all of a sudden you start to realize, ooh, there I go again. Right? So you'll see when the... Again, I'm not trying to sound weird. This does work good for Halloween, though. Is it's kind of like you have an out-of-body experience. So you're in that cycle, that thing you're doing, and now you start to like almost like watch yourself doing it. 
Like, oh, that's what I do. And footnote, you need to find somebody that you really trust and you won't get too personal. And after you do this, you need to say, hey, would you add anything to this? You've got to really be secure and trust Jesus to do that, right? Would you add anything? And if you're really feeling froggy, ask some of the people who are involved in the cycles with you, right? And then you'll get to do it again based on how you respond to that conversation. All right. The truth of God, this is so important, is you've got to, and I've got to be real fast, search the scriptures, ask the Spirit, find faithful friends to help you with this. So you're dealing with this. Go to God's Word, right? What does God's Word have to say about all of this? And then write down specific scriptures, make them into prayers. So that's where you want to start. Like, I see this. Help me, God. And then, just to go up the other side here, all you guys know how to read, so, but I, I, I want to do this just to make sure, because you might, I might have to pick up 50 of them and put them in the trash here in a minute, so just in case that happens. The soul. So now I've went to the scriptures. I've, I've, I've sought to see how does the gospel speak to this. Now I'm going to apply it specifically. How does it speak to the st- story of my life? So if the, gross, the ghost of your third grade teacher is walking into you in every situation causing you insecure, what does it look like to have Jesus and his good news be louder than that third grade teacher? Right? you got to get Jesus there into the story. And you got to say, oh, wait a minute. This is the one who has authority in my life, not this one. Right? You might love old Miss Watson or whoever it was, right? But, but Jesus is king. And he's going to get king in the story. He's going to be king in the story. How does the truth of the gospel speak to my, the temptations and gifts of my personality? Right? We don't have this defeatist view of it. You know, it's just... Just my personality to be a person who has a short fuse and screams at people. Sorry. Right? No. Jesus is bigger than that. Right? We don't deny that or minimize it, but we like say, hey, disciple me here, Jesus. Take my personality captive for your glory. And then to the heart. How does the gospel speak to to the truth? So if you were believing these things about who God is, what He's done, and who you are and others are in that situation. Now, tell yourself the truth. Has God abandoned you? No. Right? And this is where it's doing the work, right? God, you are with me in this situation. You were with me. You have to wrestle with that. And that's where you're going to find, okay, maybe my faith's not as strong as I thought it was. What has God done? And you speak the finished work of Christ into that situation. Who are you? And this is where some of us who, who maybe really have some, some, some negative views of ourselves is, is you're just going to have to really, you may have to camp out here a lot. Like, I am a, I am a beloved child of God. I am indwelt with the Holy Spirit. I am just, go, I am, God is rejoices over me. And you just, you just have those I am statements. But now it's not some poster you got to put on your wall. You're speaking it into that situation where that heat comes. So what would it look like if your spouse, your roommate, your friend, when they're talking to you, you're hearing, I'm an idiot, or you're an idiot. What would it look like if now in that situation, you're sitting there and you're like, I am 
a deeply loved child of God right now, and they are a deeply loved child of God right now. Just that might change some. I am secure. I will not be abandoned by God. You get right-sized. If you really believe the truth, the next thing, how would that change what you want, what you love, what you desire, how you determine what you needed and how you'll get that need met? That's important, right? Only Jesus can meet all our needs. What would, it look, what would Jesus like to say to the power of your idols, wounds, and lies? And now we're back going over the surface. Now we're into this hands again, the fruit tree. If you really believe the truth and we're free to love God and others, which we are, how might you regulate and respond to your emotions next time? Right? Oh man, if I'm this secure, I don't, I don't have to use my emotions to take control of the situation. Because I don't have to do that anymore. You know, I can, now I can be sad and, and not, and, and just be sad and be honest. I can take a deep breath. I can go for a walk. How might you interpret what's happening next time? So how might it change the story you're telling yourself? How does the gospel change the stories we tell ourselves? Paul will say, take every thought captive for Christ. How might you respond next time? So if last time it was yell, scream, throw something, or, or, or comply and then figure out a passive-aggressive way to punish, what might it look like next time? What would it look like if you were led of the Spirit? And then what specific steps can you take or habits might you develop to do that? And then to the end is, what might a new cycle look like? Bad stuff and conflict and hardships and just mind stuff are going to keep happening. But you don't have to be stuck in the cycle. We can actually live in the freedom that Jesus has given us if we're willing to not live on the surface. So now we come to communion. I think this is one of the reasons that Jesus wants us to do this and wants us to do it regularly. Well, we're not being legalistic about that. Communion is the sign that Jesus has given us. It's not just a symbol. It's a sign. It's a covenant sign that He is the crucified and risen holder of our hearts. It's the promise of the new covenant that your sins are forgiven once and for all and you also have the Holy Spirit to empower you to live in the way that He leads us. In a world of sensationalism, scarcity mentality, and cynicism, communion reminds us Jesus is enough. We have enough so we can go deep into our hearts. And we can trust Him. And this is what we want to taste and see again today. Just imagine as you do this, what if you took this promise you're about to take, this covenant promise, and eat it and drink it into your heart and let it flow this week into your relationships, 
into your cycles, into your view of God, others, and self? What if we let this communion be the concrete foundation that can give us the confidence to listen to our hearts so that we may live a life of health? Father, we thank you for this opportunity we have to be together around your table. We pray that you would remind us as we share and maybe we confess that Jesus is not dead, but he is alive. And may our confession even be marked by the joy of victory. And we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.